0: Well, I just love that the conceit of the show that it's going to be Never Sleep Again meets JFK is how we described this movie about the shower scene. It's like, will people get it?
1: No. No, they will not. They'll have to listen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And even after listening to the explanation, (laughs) they might not get it. Well, probably not.
1: (laughs) Hello and welcome to Projecting Film, the podcast where movies meet. I'm Michael Denniston, your host, and soon you will hear my co-hosts, Chris Maynard and I, pitch to you our movie pairing that best explains, or at least is an attempt to explain, our passion for new release, 7852, a documentary on the shower sequence from Psycho. But before we butcher our explanation for our own passion, I don't know how we accomplish that, but we do it every week, here's the trailer for 7852.
0: I once made a movie, it was intended to cause people to scream and yell, but I was horrified to find that some people took it seriously.
1: It was actually the first time in the history of movies where it wasn't safe to be in the movie theater.
0: When a moment of violence is so suggestive, so unlike anything we've seen, murder, murder, was now going to be an acceptable part of entertainment. Psycho, you felt could happen to you. This was the first movie that showed you can be naked, alone in a shower, and someone who is going to come in and just stab you. It had to be done impressionistically. The head, the feet, a hand. He has broken the covenant of filmmaker and audience. And the audience cannot wait to see more.
1: As I said, we're probably not doing these films in service, but not, you know, mixing in a Transformers movie or something like because that that used to be our thing. You know, is the one for us or sort of one for them trick them into, you know, listening to us, get passionate about our bullshit.
0: And maybe I, I I still have faith, though, that there'll be enough people that if we're just talking about things that we like. And that's kind of the whole thing. There's none of this ironic detachment from it. And it's all actually talking about things that we are passionate about or that at the very least we find something interesting in it. And there's a scene or a moment or a hook or an element that we think that people would appreciate that we could move people towards. That should be something that would be infectious. I would hope that people would enjoy hearing that.
1: Well, the problem, uh, as always, is it comes back to us. (laughs)
0: Oh yeah, that's competency. So I'm just talking about conceptually. I'm not talking
1: about the execution. Speaking of being incompetent, what's the name of this Hitchcock movie we're talking about again? I'm trying to pull it up on IMDb, and I can't remember the numbers for the life of me. 7852. God damn it. I was thinking 74 for some reason. I think I got it right at the top of this, but I'm not going to go back and check. All right, 7852. Last time we talked, which uh, in our time was, you know, 10 seconds ago we ended one episode and on to the next but uh, it's it's been a week i guess and your time dear listener whoever the hell you are we were talking about being in the bag for abundant acreage available so if you've not listened to that check out that episode right now uh 7852, i'm a huge hitchcock uh fan and uh in particular psycho it's one of my five favorite movies of all time probably always will be because it was uh it really got me into film so uh i actually was a little bit hesitant to um to throw this one on. I sort of delayed this um because I've I've been burned by these these things before. Like the um you you had you sort of sold this to me. You're saying like, "Oh, you know, it's like the is it room 238? 237? 237? Yeah. 237. I can not what is this? that's the problem. I'm not a big enough nerd where I'm just like <laughs> I'm just I like, had some fucking number. I don't know what it means, you know.
0: That that's my keychain, so. Oh god.
1: Um I know. <laughs> Like that one, that was a film I, you know, at times I was like, oh, that was kind of, that was cool. It was neat. You know, but I, I'm sort of dismissive in that way of like that, that sort of ultimate fandom. Like I, I, I like to, you know, just to lose our listeners here, whichever ones we have, uh, I, I like to spew my fandom onto many things. You know, I'm I'm not going to be so tunnel vision solely focused and spend that time and energy on one thing. So as much as I love Hitchcock, I was a little bit hesitant about focusing on the, you know, just a movie, a 90-minute movie on the shower sequence. So, Did you have any of those issues going into it, or were you, you down for this this sort of singular vision on this one scene in a classic film?
0: I was absolutely down for that. I had no problem with Room 237. Um, the idea of just deep diving into one element of something is something that's always interesting to me. So that there would be enough there to justify a 90-minute film – and to keep that compelling, yeah, that that seems about right. Um, you even said yourself before when we were talking about this that you've read the psycho book like three or four times in one summer, and then you read it every summer after that since, or something along those lines. Yeah, that's so, pretty
1: crazy. Now that you, you put that on the record, that was you know <laughs> that was just for us,
0: Chris. But thank you. for so, appeared to be a freak. If I don't know how much of that book the shower sequence takes up. But I assume you'd probably spend a good 45 minutes reading that, if not an hour and a half, reading that portion of it. Um, and so you could easily explore that, I think, not in just the, you know, sort of nuts and bolts of it as far as what happened, how it was done, and then open it up to sort of interpretation a little bit and what it means to different people. And I think there's something really interesting there. And when I said this had room 237 elements to it, it, it's not overall. This isn't, you know, conspiracy theory level shit. Um, Nobody's saying that Alfred Hitchcock faked the moon landing in this movie, but what they are doing is opening up different elements about this movie that I wasn't aware of before. I've never really taken this deep of a dive into Psycho before, or specifically into this shower scene. So I was actually very and excited about this movie that I was actually going to learn something more about this film that I've always enjoyed, but, um, not quite the Hitchcock nut that you are. So, um, now that you've seen this and you've gone into it with that hesitation, um, did you find anything new in this or was it kind of just retreading things you had heard before?
1: I, would, the new stuff and what I liked, uh, totally counter to room 237 is that they often like Elijah Wood comes to mind. Um, mm. uh, him and I—I'm I, sorry—I don't remember the, the two other gentlemen that are, are sharing the couch and the discussion in his segment where they cut to him. Um, you know, he—he's just a, a fan. You know, he—he's he's not coming yeah. saying like, "Here's here's what all this means," and I know everything. He oftentimes he—he he can he'll just be asking a question or he'll be saying like, "Isn't that cool?" Or, or like you—you <laughs> you see him watching it with this regard and this sense of discovery something that he's probably seen a thousand times. And I like that. I felt like that was a strangely brave choice for this film to not feel like we need to have a constant barrage of expert talking heads telling you what it all means that you can, you can go back to that, that state where you're like, God damn, this is fucking great. This is like, (laughs) this is fucking great to watch. And I, I like that aspect of it. One thing that they didn't really go into that I was, I was glad about because we already had, a lot of this with that horrendous uh, Hitchcock movie with uh, Helen Mirren and Anthony Hopkins.
0: I knew to avoid that one.
1: Where, uh, yeah, it was apparently all all his wife that did it mm. all, <laughs> like the secret genius behind the genius. And <laughs> that's not to take away the legitimate things that she brought to his art. She was a, a collaborator in a certain extent as far as um you know the development of certain projects or bouncing ideas off her but yeah the fact that she like <laughs> like in that film and i'm i'm probably i was just so angry as i sit there i watched it with my sister and like her friend and her friend uh didn't give a shit one way or the other which is like oh scarlett johansson's in this all right let's see what this is. and i'm just like pacing like getting up from my seat and like can't like control myself i was so pissed so i watched that um there's none of that. There's none of the like, you know, did Saul Bass or some other collaborator, you know, did they actually direct the sequence? And some of that's in the, the Stephen rubello the book that you, you mentioned mm-hmm. that I'm a big fan of. And he's in this this film. So I was glad there's not any of that conspiracy bullshit. There is, I mean, with any of this, like I was watching this uh, while my my wife was like sort of coming in and out of the room. And there there are definitely some eye-rolling moments, not to poor Elijah, but – you know, some of the, the the people here that are you know working in film, I think their enthusiasm. It, you know, as I'm I'm seeing her reaction and listening to them, I'm like, oh, this isn't really a movie for for like average people. Like, and I don't <laughs> I don't think it's intended as such. But you know, a lot of these you know films that we're we're discussing on this podcast, we're like, you know this this may seem like it wouldn't have a broad reach, but it really does. Like, it's mm-hmm. sort of the yeah you know, the the last film we talked about, abundant acreage available that. You know, in the mid 80s or 90s, you could have seen that being a semi-wide release. You know, yeah. that's like and so it is strange. This probably never. And that's fine. Yeah. Like this is this is the one for for us. So um I, I think it's effective in that regard. I don't know if it goes as deep. I don't think it tries to be exhaustive. I don't think it's trying to make a sweeping statement about it. And I like I like how varied the, the people are from fans. Mm-hmm directors, uh, participants, you, you have one of the, the models of Janet Lee Standon, you have Jamie Lee Curtis, the daughter coming in and talking about, uh, sort of her regard for her mom's work. So I, I think this is a pretty good, uh, well-rounded, um, appreciation of that one moment in cinematic history that had, you know, a great effect. I mean, almost created entire genre What's like the slasher film. So I don't know. Do you think it's like, it's lack of being like the definitive take. Do you think that that's going to hurt it with the cinephiles that it's clearly trying to appeal to?
0: Oh no, no, this is just, it's too much fun to watch. Um, And I think you nailed it with the balance of having the sort of expert talking head types um, with people that are just absolutely in love with this. The fact that they do have multiple shots of different people just watching the shower scene and it's still engaging. Yeah. That's something for film geeks, but it's, Yeah, not something that's gonna cross over, but you know even my wife was watching this with me and she was enjoying it, but I think there was a moment that when Peter Bogdanovich said that he felt like he had been raped after watching the movie, she just, you know, kind of touched me on the knee and said, Okay, I'm going to bed now. And just walked away because it's just that kind of like hyperbole. She just it just doesn't really work for her. And I think that they bounce
1: I understood what he meant, but I also had that same issue when he said it where I'm like You're trying to be the biggest cock in the room, where it's like you have to, you have to hit somebody in the face that hard. Rape. You can't just say I felt assaulted. You know, I felt like I'd you know, I've been I'd been worked over. You know, because I mean, everyone has felt that way with like certain moments in film where it's just like I feel like I've ran a marathon or something. Like it is like sort of physically taking something on me. I don't think I've ever said I felt raped by that movie. Maybe the Phantom no. Menace, with, along with thousands of other
0: people on a message board. Um, no, n- never said anything even remotely close to that. Attack of the Clones? That... I don't know. I mean,
1: just, just seeing, probably. I'm going to go through the uh, internet archives, like, you know, the whatever it is, the, the one that saves all the pages and look for, like, you know, uh, Maynard69 and see if he's, uh, <laughs> if you've left any sort of rapey comments about uh, the
0: prequels. Uh no. No, actually I don't think I ever left a message I, I didn't really leave message comments, message board comments on movies too often, occasionally here and there. Um, you know, back when that was a thing, but it was never along the lines of this was a piece of shit. Um, why would you like this? How dare you steal my childhood? type nonsense. I told you the one more...
1: time I did, right? No, well, I, I'm pretty sure I've so. told you this story, uh, on, uh, ain't it cool news? Like the, the talk oh, oh, you, section, did you put first? I didn't put first. I was, I was not the first in this particular thread. Uh, it was on, uh, Vil- Victor Salva, uh, the, uh, child molester, oh. uh, oh. when Jeepers Creepers was coming out and, um,
0: the fir- okay. The first one or
1: yeah, the first one. And okay. I, i uh you know it was just like yeah i don't i mean i don't know apparently you you fuckheads like this movie but uh i don't and that was that was probably verbatim (laughs) that was the vernacular of uh, not much has changed yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it was said with less warmth and regard for your fellow man when you called him fuckhead uh that was that was a greeting then um (laughs) <laughs> I was like, you know I do not I d I don't I'm don't think in good conscience I can I can support this or see it and I, I haven't, um now to be fair. I've I've seen you know, we've talked about this before. I've seen Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Take that, I've continued to see some Plansky's work, Woody Allen. But uh don't feel the need to bend over backwards uh, and feel icky by supporting something like Jeepers Creepers. Anyway, I got a uh a response. Uh and actually I got like a like a Email, which freaked me out, because I was like, "Wait, do I have my like email like tied to the account? Like, how do how do they know who I am? Who's this?" And it was apparently someone that worked on the film, saying like, "You know, he's a changed man. You know, you should really reconsider. You know, because you know people can change." And I just did not respond because I felt like I was I was being tracked down by someone that was defending (laughs) someone that was predatory towards children. So I don't need them emailing me anything. Uh that was the moral of the story is that was the last time I posted on a film message board because I was then trucking with people who trucked with criminals.
0: How odd. Just with uh, in light of events over this weekend. So very very topical of you, Mike.
1: I'm I'm totally out of loop, but is there jeepers creepers? Is there a new movie or something?
0: Well, it, it's kind of doubling down on that. There's a Jeepers Creepers 3, and Harry Knowles has been accused of uh, sexual assault. So.
1: Not surprised by that at all. I did like, <laughs> not think anybody's surprised by that. I mean, we all read his Blade two review. We know where that <laughs> fucking sick mind, that bastard. Um, yeah, so um, – I, I guess is that is this on topic with Hitchcock I mean not the not no not no,
0: the, no 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 I, it
1: was, well, I was gonna uh, say not the best treatment of uh his leading ladies in film <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not in this in this narrative it's not in this documentary but it it, it was something that was on the mind I think that the, the only reference uh, you know they get like a playboy bunny in one of the originals to be the stand-in and and how um off-putting Hitch found like a nude woman sort of in his presence, which is weird. It's weird from someone who really found sort of uh, women obviously titillating in a very specific type. And here he's got a a beautiful blonde being massacred and was like doing everything possible to keep the set um, appropriate for this very inappropriate thing. I don't know. There's, There's certain things that I think. With these type of films, I get lost in the shuffle on first watch for me because then I start thinking – I get in my own head. Like they might briefly mention something and I'm like, wait, why are they not continuing to talk about that? <laughs> do you have? Do you ever feel like you are not as engaged with documentaries or this this type of film because you're you're almost too engaged with like the conversational aspect of it where it's like I find my mind wandering when someone says something, but they don't continue on with that thread. So I do. I have my own conversation <laughs> with the film.
0: No, I'm generally just actively listening for the most part. I'm not continuing off all my thoughts. You are stuff. so vanilla. You're so boring, Chris. <laughs> well, generally speaking, I'm much more interested uh, what Mick Garris or Brett Easton Ellis has to, or Justin Benson has to say about the film. Yeah, let to not say to...
1: Brett Easton Ellis. That's, we're, we're, getting, we're really making this whole episode about uh, very problematic personalities
0: <laughs> in regards to women or children. Okay, you know what? Back to Frodo. Okay, so <laughs> Frodo. God love him. And- Danny Elfman is he okay? <laughs> is, is that all right?
1: Del Toro uh, would be fine. There's the Toro, plenty of good okay. people here. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, um, listening to them talk about it is far more interesting to me. And there's some of these, you know, things that they go into that you know I had just never really considered. And I guess it just makes perfect sense. Um, the idea that this is Psycho is kind of a reaction. To his films of the 50s and, you know, film heading in a different direction at that point. And so this is sort of, you know, kind of him thumbing his nose to some degree at that change in film where he's making this kind of stark black and white movie um, that he's killing off the leading lady in the first you know act of the film. And you counter that with North by Northwest, which is just this movie filled with, you know, movie stars. And it has this, these huge set pieces, Technicolor, you know, fits in with all these films. And that was sort of his comfort zone. And I guess that this was sort of him leaving that area and doing it kind of reluctantly. And I had always just taken this as something that was a small project that he kind of was a passion project for him, but maybe not so much, um, kind of what's your take on it? Do you think this is something that he actually cared about? Or when he says that this was just a prank, do you take him at his word?
1: I'm sure it's a little bit of both. I, in in the, the book they made reference to, and it's in the film where, you know, he had serious doubts about how it was turning out. He, he had serious doubts about the crew he was using. Uh, he was not using the people that normally work with him on a film. He was using his television crew basically because mm-hmm. he was trying to, he was trying to knock it out cheap. He was like, I, uh I, I think it was a really pointed exercise, as you said on his part, to see if he could totally change things up as far as how he he does things and uh, they they mentioned uh diabolik um that you know, yeah. he, he he attempted to do it with the movie star uh by um buying another another novel to adapt, turning that into vertigo, and that was you know hated reviled at the time, <laughs> And now of course is uh I guess like 1A, 1B with Citizen Kane on like those lists as far as greatest film yeah. of all time. Um, so yeah, the, I I think that's true. I've I always was more interested in, not so much in that, uh, but in the fact that he did this experiment and it pretty much ended his career. Like he, you know, he went from someone that would, I mean, he banged out, um, you know, Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho in three consecutive years, like three of the greatest (laughs) films ever. I mean, that, that is uh, insane. That, that level of output, um, especially now when we're used to filmmakers, at least having a few years or not more of of someone like of his stature, you know, that you think of like a Tarantino and it's like, it's a big announcement. Like the eighth Tarantino film is now coming to cinemas (laughs) this Christmas. And, you know, he, he would pop one out every year. And after Psycho, it took him three years to get the birds, which, I mean, there are a lot of people that really love it. It's mentioned quite a bit uh, in this film.
0: I think that's diminishing returns at that point.
1: Well, let's move past the birds, and then you really talk diminishing returns. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I think that it's this is, in some regards, the last hurrah. Um, yeah. And so it's it's really cool to see him. Able to switch gears once, but it's strange that he was not able to keep up. He never, I I don't, in all my reading of this, this film, he was never really able to wrap his head around the success of it. Never really understood (laughs) why people took to it like they did, because it it was like for him a little bit low rent compared to what he'd been putting out there.
0: But it was clearly, I mean, he wasn't wrong in that estimation.
1: But you know, specifically this film, they're talking about the the amount of days they commit to shooting the the shower sequence. That's not a low rent way of doing the this type of material, though. No. So I mean, it is this great mashup of this you know precise nature of filmmaking that he had as far as what was in his his head, and these different techni- techniques. That, I mean, that shot they go over uh, coming out of the the eye uh, after gently Marion Crane has been stabbed. It's still impressive. I think everyone should still have Frodo's reaction to this sitting on the couch <laughs> about what they're seeing. I really like that they 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 threw, I guess, a little bit of shade at the the remake as far as they've been talking about trying to they emulate it. Pull it, it off, like yeah, they couldn't do it. It's like this kind of doesn't look right. Like, and we this should be easier to do now, and we just can't really we can't nail it now. So, Psycho, I, I think the, the best thing this film gets right is that it's about a very specific point in time where this film could be made and released and have the impact that it did. It was a very small window to where, you know, you get into the sixties and this is just like, Oh yeah, this is like, these are what movies are like now. And it was right at that tipping point to where you were going to see like, you know, a marriage of the 50 style classic sort of studio system where you have a director saying by the book, we're going to do this project. This is the movie I'm bringing out this year and then, you know, by the end of the decade, you get Bonnie and Clyde, 2001. Yeah. So I, I don't really know if I can say this film's good or not, because <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. But it's like, you know, I could watch something like this talking about Psycho or numerous Hitchcock movies. And, you know, I could watch a seven hour version of it, you know. So it's I, I can't really judge it. It's, its effectiveness as far as how it is as a singular
0: film. And I I don't think it needs to be um, because it, it, like we were saying, bef- we've mentioned before, this is one for us. Um, I don't think that this is supposed to be anything more than a film for, it's a love letter and it's, you know, I don't think that somebody who has never seen psycho could watch this and want to see it. um, Want to go out and watch psycho for the first time. But I personally, after seeing this, I watched psycho later that night. So, in that way, yeah, I mean, it does its job.
1: I guess I'm this uh, the negative Nancy here. It made me want to watch the Gus Van Sant version. I was oh, like, yeah, God. well, I, was like, what? I hate you. <laughs> well, I'm surprised it took this long. I'm doing something <laughs> wrong, sir.
0: <laughs> no, I actually, that's one of the things I actually really like that you're a defender of that film, because that's definitely uh, one that's pretty well accepted. Everyone's allowed to pick on that one. And I I enjoy the fact that you're your a defender of it's that. It's an one. experiment.
1: It's like the original Psycho. Yeah. It's like let's see if we can pull this off, and they didn't. I mean, that's the that's <laughs> that's the problem with an experiment. It,
0: you don't know. They, I, they they nailed elements of it though. Um, I, I think that Bill Macy in the film is great. So he added a different dynamic to his particular character, and so it's it's kind of the inverse of Psycho. Where the third act for me in the original doesn't work as well, where it kind of falls apart towards the end. But, you know, the first two thirds of the movie is so wonderful that I don't really care. And with the remake of it, that's where the movie kind of comes together for me.
1: Hmm. I don't know. To be continued. I'm going to, you know, I'll watch it tonight and I'll let you know. I actually, I won't let you know. I'll just, when I'm doing the, the music, the outro, I'll be like, Chris was wrong. <laughs> just go
0: ahead and cut that in without seeing it. Cause that's how, that's going to be the reaction anyway.
1: Uh, well, at least I won't be as mean as you saying. I hate you. Maybe I will put that in there. I'm sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. All right. Let's move on to your pick. I'll, I'll, I'll hate you now. How about that? I'll hate your selection. <laughs>
0: You probably will. Um, Because I was thinking about movies that were about, you know, documentaries about film. So I kind of went on the nose with it and I went specifically into what we were talking about, where it was a documentary that by design was made for people that were fans of a specific film and that it didn't really have any concern or consideration for people who aren't weren't already in the bag for it. And so I went with a movie from just a couple years ago, 2010, uh, called Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. This is a four-hour documentary about the Nightmare on Elm Street films. And I cannot possibly imagine somebody enjoying this film unless they are a fan of this franchise of movies. But this is something that when my wife gave this to me, I actually go back and watch this more frequently now than I watch the actual movies themselves. Cause some of the stories that are behind each one of these films are really wonderful. Um, the idea of what happened in nightmare on Elm street Two, uh, the way they cover it in this documentary is actually made me reevaluate that film. And I appreciate a sense of humor in it that I never knew was there the first time around. It was, uh, Kind of like going back and when you read about the original intention of Bride of Frankenstein, it just, you know, what the director had in mind with that, it gives a whole new light to it. So, yeah, this is kind of, I think, in the same vein as that where, God, if you if you don't love Psycho, I don't think that you're really going to appreciate uh, 7852. And if you don't really love Nightmare on Elm Street, you're definitely not going to give a shit about Never Sleep Again.
1: Hmm. I don't know how to feel about your your choice there, because I uh, and this won't surprise you at all. I own this and I've never seen it. And I watched it <laughs> um, partially. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the runtime because I, I think this was on sale on iTunes for like five bucks one day. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I love, I love like behind the scenes stuff. I love you know a deep dive documentary on film. But I've um I've only ever seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street, so that also gave me pause. I'm like, oh, this is like. Exhaustive, uh, this is about the whole series, and then I'm like,, ah, I'm not really in the mood to watch those movies, and so i don't know you know how to feel about your little mini review there because uh I really want to see this, I want to hear people talking about it, but i'm as i've said many times, i'm not a horror movie guy, in particular, when I think of horror movies, i'm thinking of like those eighties horror movies, yeah, uh and I as a child, I hated the the box art, I found them terrifying. <laughs> I just saw them as bad things not to touch or rent. So um, I don't know what drove me to to spend five bucks on that. Uh, Apple got their 30% of that cut for me just uh, on a whim. So I I, I don't know if I'll I'll make it to this or not.
0: I will recommend watching because it's set up in chapters um, where you can just watch the kind of the little 45 minute documentary on each one of the films. So watch the part on Nightmare 2. I think it would actually might pique your interest to where you might want to go back and watch it. And if not, it's still an entertaining little story. So I, th- I think I think you would appreciate the one on part two at the very least.
1: Has there ever been a um, a documentary – it doesn't necessarily have to be on film, but you know, it could be a band or something you've not been exposed to or you're just not really a fan of at that point that has sold you on the material?
0: Yeah, to some degree. Um, there was that documentary on Tom Petty a couple years ago. That speaking of exhaustive documentaries, I think that one was also uh, four plus hours long. And he was one of those guys that, you know, I enjoyed his songs from time to time, never owned one of his albums, but um, I'd kind of taken for granted how many of his songs I knew. And then when I watched this documentary, it really made me appreciate Tom Petty a lot more. And now I do have a couple of his albums. Like those first three records are phenomenal.
1: You truly are Mr. Vanilla. Jesus Christ. Tom <laughs> Petty. <him. laughs> I read the, uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> as you know, I'm a huge uh, replacements fan. It's my favorite band of all time. Mm-hmm. And so I read the, speaking of exhaustive, uh, last summer, <laughs> it was like the definitive account of the replacements. It's, uh, called Trouble Boys. So it's this huge book. Um, thankfully, I was reading a digital copy because I'm not in shape enough to carry that thing around. But, there's an entire i mean there's a pretty lengthy portion of their sort of last gasp at mm-hmm. attempting or being propped up to achieve success through their label where they were opening for Tom Petty at the end of the 80s so i'm you know imagining like petty in like 88 89 it, it, was that his peak as far as like radio hits at that point right at the end of the 80s maybe early 90s that there's a like a 4 or 5 year stretch there where he was Uh, he was on MTV quite a bit and, uh, you know, they're drunk and of course they're, they're failing and Tom Petty fans hate them, (laughs) like are booing them (laughs) as they like stumble around and like barely, like they, you know, the different band members are playing different songs. They're like playing four different songs at once. (laughs) (laughs) And so clearly Tom Petty fans are looking for a chorus or something like, what the fuck is this? Um,
0: and I'm not knocking looking them. for somebody that actually cares that people paid for well, tickets. Well, and I, was, I was, I was about to <laughs> say, I'm
1: not knocking these people for not getting it because, uh, <laughs> I've listened to a few of those like replacements, bootlegs and, you know, the, like Matt's fans that really like, like the most like shitty possible performance. Yeah. And I'll listen to them as like a curiosity. And then I'm like, okay, but I don't put them on my phone to like, you know, listen to in the car. I, I have like the best shows they ever did. So I understand, you know, being pissed with these people, but, uh, I think it was the, I think it was Tommy Stinson, the one that, uh, that went on to, to play for like guns
0: and roses and yeah, you know, yeah became like yeah. Oh, you know, real, that's real briefly.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he's still like, you know, he's, he's playing different bands and stuff, but you know, he's, he's had a successful career. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but he was the youngest one and sort of like the one that would, uh, that yeah, would it would be the punk kid. And so he, he was talking shit, Tom Petty, like being a sellout, like playing to a bunch of middle-aged people. Like, <laughs> look at your fans. They suck. You suck. And Petty's only response, I mean, he just took it all in and he's like, I'm making a quarter million dollars tonight. And then just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Not much of a counter to that, is there? <laughs> like, he's not—he's not agreeing or disagreeing. He's just saying, like, you've stated your facts. I'm going to state mine, and my facts better.
0: <laughs> These are both truths. My <laughs> yeah. <The> truth wins.
1: <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if that was the point of that particular chapter, but it uh, earned my respect for Mister Petty. <laughs> he didn't entertain the conversation any further. He just went about his day. Um. So I don't have a natural transition there because I did not, I did not pick a documentary on the, the replacements. I didn't make you suffer through that again. That, that I
0: came around on them a little bit after that though.
1: I mean yeah, you, know, you got to listen to the the right shows because they're they go from the worst thing on the planet to being uh, mostly good. So that's <laughs> <laughs> good ish. Yeah,
0: the replacement story.
1: Um. All right. My I guess my my choice is good ish, but is uh, somewhat controversial. Uh, and courted Controversy, It is, we're going back to the 90s, of course. 1991, I uh, I chose Oliver Stone's JFK as my, my choice for this particular film.
0: <laughs> because it is Speaking a documentary of, writing, of,
1: of everything that actually happened. <laughs> I have to admit that this is one that I had in mind before I watched this documentary on the shower scene. And I was not... Uh, swayed away from my 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 choice here because I was like, oh, to me this is the film, you know, barring getting to the conspiracy theories, which I was thankful are not in on this this documentary on Psycho, not like the the Shining one, <laughs> no, um, not at all. But it is a film that is glorified, and you could argue is about editing. It's you know, in in this case, you know, it's the characters sort of picking out the facts that they like. That suit their interests. Either if you're, uh, the, you know, the the spooky sort of government operatives, or or if you're the the hero, if you're Jim Garrison here, who's sort of cherry picking what fits the narrative. Um, and uh, you know, in our real world, it's one that I think even if you don't have warm feelings to the the film, you you have to admire the editing here. Uh, like it it's a bit maybe overused at this point. I think Oliver Stone's like, Hey, I like this. I'm gonna do this in all my <laughs> movies now. <laughs> if I make a movie about an old uh married retired couple in uh Cape Corals, I'm gonna use this <laughs> editing style, you know, even if it doesn't apply. Um but I'm a huge fan of this film. I was a fan of it as a teenager. I think it's probably the appropriate time to get into it because you're just like you feel like your your mind's been blown and then you start reading stuff and like the world is not that interesting again so you go back to <laughs> the escapism of movies <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's that's what i had on the the brain is you know an actual character who is obsessing and shuffling and reshuffling um things in and how it can lay out and make sense to him and I think it applied as I was watching the film because it's like you are seeing people that are taking small little snippets out of the shower sequence and not justifying them as if they have to defend Hitchcock's choices here, but justifying why it's (laughs) why it's important to them. Why that specific moment of sort of madness and out of focus violence, why they are elaborating so much on that. So, uh, yeah. So now now's your time to to talk me down from the you know the clock tower here and uh to tell me how wrong i am for picking jfk for this film
0: well i just love that the conceit of the show that it's going to be never sleep again meets jfk is how we describe I've this movie about, about the
1: shower scene i was like well people get it no no they will not they'll have to listen
0: <laughs> <laughs> and even after listening to the explanation they <laughs> might not get it
1: well, probably not, you know, because I'm having to, you know, having to add some flavor to this show with uh, the man <laughs> man of the people, of course, Oliver Stone. Man of the people, and,
0: you know, Mr. Garrison, just a real, real popular guy with the kids.
1: He tried Lots to be a man of the people, and nobody would, nobody would listen to him, so he had to yell louder. And that's what I aspire to be. You're not that far off, Mike. Um, He just needed a podcast. I mean, he'd be really popular. He'd be <laughs> top of the charts. True crime. Very popular now.
0: Very popular now. Um, I, I love JFK, and I never would have thought of that as a comparison for this. It's kind of pushing it out, but I, I see what you're getting at with it. And that's probably, I would say, the movie I've revisited the most often of Oliver Stone's. Really, um, it's a tough. Platoon, sit. platoon, I've seen a lot, but JFK might 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 be more actually.
1: Well, you know we, it's uh we talked earlier about uh, Mr. Last Picture Show being raped uh, in the <laughs> comforts of an air conditioned theater. Um, <laughs> probably some indigestion from his popcorn is All that is, Pete. I don't know what you're talking about. But, I was raped. <laughs> God. Jeez, man. Uh had to be at fucking Times Square too. He couldn't be in fucking a Wichita can- <laughs> Like, no, I was I was in it, man. I was, was in Times Square and I was raped. Um <laughs> But JFK that I'm I kind of expressed some uh shock. It is my favorite uh Oliver Stone movie, but I you know, I, I don't know how much I can revisit this one. Like, I mean it's not only just the length, it's over three hours long, but it's just it's intense from the credits even before before our main character uh, becomes embroiled in this conspiracy becomes obsessed with it you're being assaulted by images of people screaming and spouting nonsense and and darkness about you know these men coming for them <laughs> the, the woman who's like thrown out of a car and saying they're going to kill him like i i still remember that and it's like you <laughs> know if that's in the credit sequence i'm it's basically you know it's truth in advertising there. This is what you're going to be in for for the next three hours is people screaming at you about everything that's gone wrong in this world. And you can't do anything about it. You can shout as loud as you can, but they have a bigger megaphone than you.
0: There was a good month of my life where I think I fell asleep watching JFK every God, night, damn, dude. <laughs> my brother uh, came out to visit and he brought his wife, uh, with him when, and they stayed with me and she heard me listening to this and she's asked my brother, she's what the fuck is wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> it's the opening of it. It's just that, that drum, um, going mm-hmm. and then the the shots and then the screaming and then the voiceover from Martin Sheen and that, that it would, I think if I'm not mistaken, that would have been a laser disc, um, and I had the LaserDisc that would flip sides. And if you had it on automatic playover, it was a two-disc thing, but it would just keep playing the one disc over and over again. So, yeah, until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when eventually I would roll over and turn off the TV. That that was the soundtrack to my oh, life Jesus for quite Christ. a while.
1: Getting very uh Howard Hughes, aviator, here, <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio with a beard, demanding these people come in with the milk, come in with the milk over and over again. <laughs> you know i selected this thing and you're the one coming off as the weirdo in this, <laughs> this episode i'm the guy that was justifying your love of tom petty like oh he's a pretty good guy he's got a funny story here now you,
0: know, you called me mr vanilla and said figures old man winter <laughs> of course that's what you <laughs> i think it was your actual response and then you said well let me go ahead and segue into a hip band <laughs> the replacements and by the way only (laughs) one of us have hip days because nobody gives a shit about the replacements
1: anymore (laughs) i'm glad you 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 make a good point i am
0: definitely the hip one of the two here (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's like (laughs) out of the two of us though i i don't think that any of these bands are getting selected to play bonnaroo anytime soon I don't know
1: if I win this or not. I think we lose. The audience loses. (laughs) Whoever they are. (laughs) That's as close as you'll get to me conceding is when I'm silent for a few moments and I just come up with, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Is this a competition thing? I I, I go back and forth where it's just, are we trying to come up with the idea of what this is? Or are we actually competing what the better double feature is? Because either way, We've put together a fucking exhaustive double feature for somebody. You know, the 7852 is real light and breezy and just Mm. shoots right by in 90 minutes. And if they're following it up with any of the garbage that we put with it, they're in for a six-hour investment.
1: I'm going to say I win. I'll say this. (laughs) Because you're shorter. (laughs) It is shorter. It's the breezy watch of the two, JFK.
0: I I would say Never Sleep Again, though, is something that is you can very easily watch it in multiple sittings because the way it's divided up. So just stick it around, watch the one that you've done, your 45 minutes in and out, call it a day. And it's on Netflix. Easy to watch. uh,
1: I do think that JFK works on its own, and maybe that's that's to its detriment uh, for the people who really despise this film is that it it has become (laughs) its own thing. We're both in agreement on 7852 as far as, like, Probably don't make that your first brush with psycho, and then try to work backwards <laughs> from it, but if you wanna if you want to learn about uh the j f k assassination, start with the movie because you're gonna have plenty of time to be like, oh no, it's not not actually that that interesting at or all. That cool, yeah, but you know at the very least you'll be able to enjoy a good movie first and not be the guy that's sort of pointing your your finger at the screen uh <laughs> insisting that Chris changed the disc on there cuz you're you're tired of all the lies and shenanigans for the first half. <laughs> 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 and on that note, you're probably tired of all the lies and shenanigans on this on this very podcast here.
0: Wasn't right. that the original title of this show?
1: Lies and Shenanigans? I thought so. That sounds like a, a Mike Lee film. Is that Secret and Lies? Uh, it sounds like it should be starring two...
0: It's Actually, it sounds – never mind. I take it back. It sounds like something like a House of Pain album.
1: House of Pain. God, wow. Are you, are you, now you're trying to be hip here? I'm like going with like <laughs> thinking of two old British
0: women. Like, you know. <laughs> That's and, the only time that's said in the last 25 years that House of Pain was the hip option.
1: I still don't know if it is. I think you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the fucking seven year old British people, and they're probably still cooler, cooler Um, than everlast. Maybe. Yeah, most likely. You know,
0: we'll do a Twitter poll
1: for the very first time. We won't. We won't even put this episode up yet. We'll just have that be our Twitter poll, (laughs) and people can just make of it what they want.
0: (laughs) (laughs) More relevant, old British people or everlast.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, we're good. That's that's how, that's how you knock out a JFK commentary. Put that on the fucking 4K transfer. <laughs> We haven't quite gotten that gig yet to do an audio commentary for one of Mr. Stone's films. Probably should start with uh, I don't know, W, maybe. Let's not set our sights on classics like JFK. Actually, let's just set our sights on producing a 45-minute podcast that hopefully encourages you to check out some of the best and new independent cinema, even though clearly we are not the men for the job. for whatever reason if you like what we do please subscribe on itunes go to followingfilms.com where you can find another podcast of mine such as uh, the grand gesture which is a look at romantic tropes in film that i do with dave hart from pop culture case study or listen to my co-host chris show following films an interview-based podcast where he talks to some of the more interesting filmmakers and independent film. If that's not enough, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Projecting Film and uh, give us some feedback because at this point we're just talking to each other which, you know, it isn't really that bad. It's actually a lot of fun. Hopefully you had fun listening and come back next time. We'll be looking at another horror film, A Closer Walk With Thee, which I got a chance to see at the Nashville Film Festival earlier this year and we have an interview with, with two filmmakers who wrote and directed this new fun and a bit politically charged scary movie <laughs> oh you can tell when uh yeah, when we do two like back to back oh the
0: second one's a little bit looser
1: yeah <laughs> people are like i they get you know the alternating weeks here like they're, they're really There's like this somber here.
0: serious meditation on grief <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's good I liked it. I did have I had one more joke and I thought it was pretty good. And somewhere we got lost in the petty replacement shenanigans and I could not. I even tried as you were talking. I was like, what the what fuck was I about to say? It was a good put down for Chris. And now I've lost it. He's distracting me with all this bullshit. But I take the bait. I, I follow through on that because I think that I can juggle multiple thoughts in my stupid brain. And I can't. And I just lose it.
0: Sadly, the only notes that we need to take are while the other person's talking so we can get ourselves back on our train of thought. Really great to be here. Hello, mother. See, Tom Petty's teaches us all this groovy uh, rapport with the audience. It's took us two months, but I think I've got a few of it down. Wait, what do you think of this? They roar for him. I don't know.
1: You'll love it when he does it. <laughs> Wait. Wait, Chris, Chris got Chris is looking paid. for a bus token.